This is a really special episode. Uh, Vivek Ramaswamy has been on the program before, and he's on again today. I take you to Jamie Lynn's Coffee House in Wapalo, Iowa, on December 8th, 2023. Vivek spoke there, and I had the honor of uh, saying the morning prayer and leading the folks there in the Pledge of Allegiance. And we'll show you that as well, and you'll hear everything from Vivek and I also ask him some questions, and it's all brought to you by Griner Auto Body of Washington, Iowa, using state-of-the-art techniques and decades of experience to get your car back on the road after an accident. Car Doctor of Washington, Iowa. No matter who Frankensteined it, they can fix and clean and customize it. McDonald Boneyard of Kyoto, Iowa, for all of your farm equipment and auto recycling needs. Hinshaw Trailer Sales of Richland, Iowa. You need a trailer, they've got your trailer, and they fix what they sell and don't in their full-time repair shop. Girling Repair of Winfield, Iowa. If your mower is dead, call Fred, your Husqvarna, Aaron's, and Gravely dealer, and Fred fixes snowblowers too. B&B Propane and the family of Jet Stops present Southeast Iowa Today. I'm John Bain, author of Christie's Journey, The Beat Goes On, and your host. Let's get right to it. I'm John Bain, and uh, I'm from Wayland, Iowa. I host a podcast called Southeast Iowa Today. I'm a Christian, and uh, please join me in a moment of prayer. Lord, thank you for this opportunity to gather today to hear uh, tough subjects discussed in our country. Our country is going through a lot at this time, a lot of division. We need to be united. We ask for your heavenly guidance, and we ask for all of our leaders to be granted your wisdom. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. And if you can please join me and rise for the Pledge of Allegiance. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America and to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Thank you. At this point, I'd like to turn it over to our state uh, chair, your former secretary of state, if I'm not correct, uh, not incorrect, sorry, uh, Matt Schultz, who will give us an intro this morning before Vivek comes in. All right. Hey, thank you. Good morning, everybody. Can everybody hear me? Is this working? All right, good. Well, thanks for being here today. Thanks for coming out uh, and having breakfast with us. Uh, the bus is here. Vivek's just about to walk in. But I just want to talk to you real quick. Uh, like we said, I used to be your secretary of state. When I was your Secretary of State, I, uh, I supported Rick Santorum when he ran for president, and he was at 3%, and we won the Iowa caucus. And four years later, I was Ted Cruz's state chair, and we won the Iowa caucus. So let's hope the magic is still there for the third time, all right? But I want to tell you why I'm supporting Vivek. It's all about this message of truth. He speaks the truth. He's not afraid. I mean, how many of you have been watching the debates? He's not afraid. He is not afraid. He says exactly what he thinks. And I'm so used to politicians coming and just telling us everything you know they think we want to hear. But the, uh, the opposite is true about Vivek. He tells you the truth and what he believes. And you may not agree with him 100% of the time, but you can take this to the bank that he's being honest with you 100% of the time. And quite frankly, it's refreshing. And that's what I love about Vivek. You know, I, I voted for Donald Trump both times. And there are a lot of things I love about Donald Trump. There are. And everything I love about Donald Trump, political outsider, not beholden to, to the, do, the donors, the special interest, right? Wanting to clean up the swamp and fight back against Washington. All those things I love about him is Vivek, a political outsider. Self-funding his campaign. He's, he's not beholden to anybody. Which is quite frankly why he can speak the truth. And he has an actual plan to drain the swamp. With term limits for the bureaucracy. Closing of agencies that are corrupt. And moving the good people into other agencies. I mean this is a man 
who's ready on day one to change every, to change the world. But he can't do it without us. So I'm asking for your help. If you like, if there, if you like those things about Donald Trump, then you're gonna love Vivek. And everything that you don't like about Donald Trump, the drama, is not Vivek. So I want you to ask him the tough questions today and listen to him. And if you think he's telling you the truth, I need your support. I need you to go out on January 15th and caucus for him. How many of you have caucused before? Raise your hands. All right, about half. For those of you who've never caucused before, let me just give you the quick and dirty, all right? It's easy. You show up for 30 minutes, 30 minutes on January 15th. Be there at 7 p.m. Be there a little early. <clears throat> I've always been told that if I'm on time, I'm late. So be there a little early, all right? And, and then every campaign is going to have a chance to have a representative speak on their behalf. And when they're done, for those two minutes, we vote. We don't do this wrangling like the Democrats. We just vote. You circle a name, and hopefully you're circling Vivek on a piece of paper, and you hand it down, and it gets counted in front of you, and the totals are called into the Republican Party of Iowa. It is that simple. 30 minutes of your lives can change the course of history. So I'm asking you to get out and caucus on January 15th. Then I'm asking you to take your friends, your family, everybody from church, everybody you drink coffee with in the morning, with you. All right? And if you do that, you've changed the world. The media all says that Vivek has no chance. They said Rick Santorum had no chance. They said Ted Cruz couldn't win. But the media doesn't get to pick who our nominee is. We do. So get out and vote. And then today, you're going to get a chance to get a picture of Vivek. How many of you have Facebook or social media? All right? If you don't, maybe your grandkids do. All right? Give them, your, get a picture of Vivek and post it. And tell all your friends you were here today. And then put something in the post about something that you heard that you liked, that touched you. And let all your friends and family know. We also have these caucus cards going around. I'd like you to fill one out so we can communicate with you. Make sure you know where your precinct is and give you any information for the caucus that you need. So those are the three things I'm asking for you. Go out and vote for Vivek. Bring all your friends. Number two, get those pictures on social media. Number three, sign a caucus card. And if you do that, if you do that, we're going to change the world. We, all of us. So with that, it's my honor and privilege to introduce to you my friend and the next president of the United States, Vivek Ramaswamy. Good morning. It's good to see you guys. I'm excited to have an open conversation with you all. This is how the Iowa caucus works for a reason. Iowa goes first for a reason. And you all know it well. There's no social media algorithms distorting what we say here. There's no TV screens or media filters between us. I've realized that's one of the broken poisons in American politics. The media's distillation of the truth. We're here able to have an open conversation. I'll tell you. Anybody see that uh, fourth debate the other night? A couple of you have a chance to see it? It's interesting. I've learned a lot through this process. I've been a critic of the Democrats. Corruption in the Democratic Party. The fact that Biden has sold off our foreign policy to make their family rich. That's part of the reason why we're sending $200 billion to Ukraine. I've been very critical of the mainstream media. and It's like a uh, George Orwell novel, almost. You, for, those of you who watched, for those of you who did watch it, watch the debate and then read the media's distillation of it. It's like, you, it's like you would have been watching two different events. You would never know. It could be in two different countries, two different centuries. It's fascinating. But I can't criticize the left and I can't criticize the media if I'm not also willing to speak the truth about our own failures as a Republican Party. I think we have become lazy as a Republican Party, actually. And I don't just mean lazy in the operations. 
I think we've become lazy about defining what we actually stand for. We can criticize the other side and their vision. I've done plenty of this too. Race, gender, sexuality, climate. That's fine. But that's not enough. Without actually offering a vision of our own. What do we actually stand for? Individual. Family. Nation. God. That beats race, gender, sexuality, and climate if we have the courage to actually stand for something. I say we've become lazy. We've become a party that is running from something. Now is our moment to actually start running to something. To our vision of what it means to be an American today. You ask people my age that question, I'm 38 years old. I'm not, a po- I'm not a political figure. I'm not a politician. I'm a businessman. I've built successful businesses. My wife is a throat surgeon at Ohio State treating cancer survivors. We're outside of politics people. I'm 38. I'm the youngest person ever to run for U.S. president as a Republican. We're in this because we see what's happening in our generation. You ask people our age, what does it mean to be an American? You get a blank stare in response. It's like a deer in the headlights, actually. That's what the next president actually needs to be able to answer with conviction. I'm all in for the America First agenda. But to put America first, we now have to rediscover what America is. What does it mean to be a citizen of this nation? To me, it means we believe in the 1776 ideals that we were founded on. The ideals enshrined in the Declaration of Independence and the Constitution. The idea that you get ahead in this country, not on the color of your skin, but on the content of your character and your contributions. That is why I will end race-based affirmative action in every area of American life. It has been a cancer on our national soul, and we are done with it. What does it mean to be an American? It means we believe in the rule of law. That is why we will use our own military to secure our own southern border and our own northern border, too. That's what it means to stand for the rule of law in the United States of America. What does it mean to be American? It means the people who we elect to run the government ought to be the ones who actually run the government. Not the three-letter agencies, the shadow government and the deep state that's actually running the show today. First term, we're going to have a 75% reduction in the number of those federal bureaucrats. That's how you get serious about draining the swamp. First term, we actually start with eight-year term limits for the bureaucracy. If I can't work for you for more than eight years, neither should any of those federal bureaucrats either. Term limits instead of the civil service protections. That's how you drain the swamp. You want to talk about actually gutting that bureaucracy? Rescind those unconstitutional regulations that Congress never actually passed. A CEO in the White House can do this. Don't start with last year's budget as the baseline and then massage it around the edges. Start with zero as the baseline. And then ask what's actually necessary. Zero-based budgeting. These aren't black ideas or white ideas. These aren't even Democrat ideas or Republican ideas. This is basic common sense. Let's talk about our elections in this country. What does it mean to be American? It means that every person's vote and voice gets counted in an election. Single-day voting on election day, as a national holiday, paper ballots, government-issued voter ID to match the voter file, English as the sole language on our ballots in the United States of America. This shouldn't be controversial, this is common sense. But the reason many of the things that I say, the media will teach you are controversial is not because they're false, it's because they're true. There's a reason why I was the only candidate on that debate stage or in this race who's able to say certain things. That January 6th now looks like it was the product of government entrapment. That the COVID pandemic, we said it, originated in a lab in Wuhan. Not some sort of alternative wet market theory they foisted on us for years. That the weapons of mass destruction in Iraq were a basis for invading a foreign country that did not serve our interests. That the so-called great replacement theory isn't some grand right-wing conspiracy theory, but a basic statement 
of the Democratic Party's self-stated immigration policy. That the 2020 election was indeed stolen by big tech. That the 2016 election was indeed stolen by the national security establishment that stopped Trump from governing for two years with the Trump-Russia collusion hoax that we now know was false. That the carbon capture pipeline making its way across the other part of this state is based on a climate change agenda that is a hoax because it has nothing to do with the climate. Why am I the only candidate in this race who's able to say these things? Here's the answer. Corporate funding. Corporate funding. You got it. Yeah. It's like a law of nature. I'm an outsider. I've learned this. I've learned so much this year. I can't. It's been eye-opening. You think it's going to be bad. I knew it was going to be bad. It's far worse than I ever expected. Every politician dances to the tune of their biggest donor. It's just a fact. It's like a law of nature. And in my case, that biggest donor is me. I don't want to be somebody else's circus monkey. I would rather speak the truth and lose this election than to win by playing some carefully crafted artificial political snakes and ladders. That's the truth. But I think that if you want somebody who's actually going to face down the deep state, somebody who's actually going to end the corruption, somebody who's actually going to speak truth to power, then you should vote for somebody who's going to speak the truth to you. And that is what this campaign is about. Speaking the truth, not just when it's easy, but when it's hard. Speaking the truth, not just to the other side, but to our own side right here in the Republican Party. Speak that truth with a spine, with conviction, with respect. But part of respect is that you respect your neighbor enough to tell him what you actually think. That's what we're doing every day in this campaign. And the way we're going to get this country back, get those shared values back, isn't just by me doing it. It is by all of us, every one of us, starting to say in public what we will otherwise say in private. That's how we defeat this culture of fear in our country. Speak that truth. Speak it without apology. God is real. There are two genders. Fossil fuels are a requirement for human prosperity. Reverse racism is racism. An open border is not a border. Parents determine the education of their children. The nuclear family is still the greatest form of governance known to mankind. Capitalism lifts us up from poverty. There are three branches of government in the United States of America, not four. And our U.S. Constitution, it is still the strongest and greatest guarantor of freedom in human history. That is the truth. We fight for the truth. We stand up for the truth. That is what won us the American Revolution. That is what reunited us after the Civil War. That is what won us two world wars and the Cold War. That is what still gives hope to the free world. And if we can revive that dream over group identity and victimhood and grievance, then nobody in the world, not a nation, not a corporation, not a virus, not China is going to defeat us. That is what American exceptionalism is all about. And with your help, that is what we're going to revive to save this great country. Thank you for coming out this morning, guys. We're just getting warmed up. We will not stop until we get this job done. I want to practice what we preach a little bit. Let's open this up. I, I, you can either project or I can bring you the microphone. I want to hear from you. I'm asking you to seat me across the table from Xi Jinping and represent this country. Okay, I better be willing to take the hard questions from you all. Guys, uh, I'm going to just read this morning about the uh, vote of...
confidence in the government, which is so low. Yes, it is. In the in Congress, it is at an all-time low. Lower. I think the vote of confidence in the American public in Congress is nine percent. Unbelievable. <laughs> Something along that line. What are those nine percent thinking? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My question, though, is how can you have a plan to deal with that kind of division within the leadership? Yeah, that's, that's a real challenge for anybody to get the yeah, look. among that. So I'll say one thing when you add it again. I talked about the kind of, kind of term limit I can deliver as the U.S. president. Term limits for the bureaucracy. And one of the things we've got to remember is as bad as Congress is, I think it's really important to keep our priorities really straight. The people who are in Congress right now, they're puppets. They're not even really making the laws for the country. And the more dysfunctional Congress is, the more it even gets delegated to the administrative state, those three-letter agencies. So again, I, I, I can't state this truth enough. The people who we elect to run the government, they're not the ones who actually run the government. I don't even rail against Biden that much because Biden's not even the president, not really. He's a puppet for the permanent government, the shadow government that's actually pulling the strings of power today. If there's one war I wage as your next president that I will pledge to wage, it isn't some pointless foreign war that doesn't advance our interests, it is the war on our own shadow government here at home. So that much I can take care of as your next president, because that shadow government, the executive branch, still reports into a U.S. president. That much we're going to get done. Then as it relates to Congress, we need fresh blood. Term limits are the way to get there. Now, here's why. Here's how I'm going to tell you how we're going to do it. Because ordinarily, that requires 75% of people in Congress to vote against their own self-interest. As broken as the system is, and as much as I want to fix it, that ain't going to happen. Here's the way we do it. I don't love it, but at least it becomes possible to achieve. At least grandfather in the people who are in there so that they don't vote themselves out of a job. But when they step down or when they get voted out, then you actually have the next person to assume that seat bound by that term limit. That's how we get term limits in Congress. This is how we get term limits in the bureaucracy. And it's also going to take more people who come from the business world, who come from outside. I mean, my parents came to this country with literally no money 40 years ago. In a single generation, I have gone on to found multiple multi-billion dollar companies. My wife is one of the best in the country at what she does, treating cancer survivors every day. She doesn't do it for the money. She does it for the impact she's having. But her parents came to this country under similarly humble circumstances. That's the American dream, but it's gonna take more people willing to then make the sacrifice and view this as public service. This isn't an opportunity, as we see from so many Republicans and Democrats, including Republicans I'm running against in this race, to use their time in public service to cash out and make money. I don't think people should be using their time in public service to enrich themselves. We're holding our nose and going in and viewing this as eight years of service we're doing to this country. And if only the rest of Congress and the Senate were staffed by people who view it similarly, some of them do, but most of them don't. Term limits are a great way to get there, and it takes an outsider like me to get in there and actually deliver it, both for the bureaucracy and for Congress, and that's the first step to actually reviving the essence of our constitutional republic that we've lost. So thank you for that question. I appreciate it, man. I think we can, if somebody's gonna get that job done, it's gonna be an outsider from the next generation, and I'm up for the task. Thank you, my man. I appreciate it. Thank you for being here. What's your name? Ted Mounts. Ted, I appreciate it. We'll, we'll go right next to you. I'm his wife. Oh, nice. Okay. <laughs> Thank you both for coming. What is your plan for dealing with the tens of millions of illegals here in this country? Yeah. And thank you for jumping to the hard question. Because everybody else will give you the bluster of like what they're going to do for the border. We all agree on that. Yeah. I think mostly, at least. I mean, that's what you, I get. Use the military on the board. That's right. That's right. Yeah, we. Glad she's giving it to you. Well, you, we have we share something in common. I'm only ten years in, or you know, getting close to ten years in marriage, and 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 are already the case in my life too. So that's good. I will say. The easy stuff is we all agree on. I would go one step further a little bit, and I think this relates to my answer to your question is. The best border policies are the ones that eliminate the incentives to be here illegally. No federal funding for sanctuary cities. And then also end birthright citizenship for the kids of illegal migrants. If you read the Constitution carefully, the 14th Amendment, 
it does not apply to the kids of those who are here illegally. It says, and subject to the jurisdiction thereof. That's what it means. So if you're the kid of an illegal under current law, you don't need a change in law, you don't need Congress. I swear an oath to the Constitution, that's what we need. Swear an oath to the Constitution and keep it. Under my presidency, starting January 20th, 2025, the kids of illegal migrants will no longer be citizens in this country. So that paves the way for the answer to your question. Anybody who is in this country illegally, which from January 20th, 2025 forward includes even the kids of illegal migrants. Can't change that part retrospectively, but you can do it proactively, prospectively. Anybody who's in this country illegally, including the adults, who are the three million who are here illegally, etc., will be returned to their country of origin. That's the only correct answer if we're standing for the rule of law. And in hard cases, sometimes being a parent helps you have moral clarity. I can't look my two sons in the eye if we're living in the White House and tell them they have to follow the rules if our own government isn't following its own rules. So then the question is, how do you do this? They say you can't do it. It's only about 6,000 ICE agents who are on the front lines as officers. How could they possibly go after millions? Here's the answer. 287G. Again, I like areas where I don't have to pass new laws. I like to swear an oath to the Constitution and do what I can do under existing laws because I'm not going to make a promise to you that relies on Congress. I'm making you the promises that I can keep. Well, here's what I can keep. 287G gives ICE the ability to delegate their ability to serve warrants to local law enforcement officers at the state and local levels. Now we have a million law enforcement officers who can serve those warrants to illegals who are in this country. That is practical. 6,000 ICE agents can't do it. That's what they say. The existing laws already allow, in this narrow context for illegal migrants, ICE to leverage local law enforcement, which I've talked to local law enforcement in this country. Most of them are standing and ready to do. But ICE has to make that call. ICE reports into the U.S. president. I'll make that call. That's how we do it. The country that put a man on the moon can get this done. It's not a technical challenge. It's a challenge of will. And I want to pause to make this point for a second, because you guys have a choice to make in about 40 days, the Iowa caucus. Every one of your voices, it counts like the equivalent of a million people, the impact that it has on who eventually becomes your next president. And if I win this Iowa caucus, this is uniquely true for me. In my case, if I win the Iowa caucus, I am your next president. So that's in your power. It will take somebody who is on one hand an outsider, somebody who doesn't come from that broken establishment, frankly in both parties, who's gonna come in, sharp elbows, break glass, get that job done. Trump brought an element of that and I bring that too. But it will also take an outsider who understands the law and the constitution in this country deeply. These people duped Trump in so many ways. You can't fire those federal employees because they're civil servants. Read the law. Those protections do not apply to mass layoffs. Mass firings are what I'm bringing to Washington, D.C. Can't deport illegals. Well, you know what? You can if you use the law in your favor as it already exists. And those two things, right? Somebody who's going to be an outsider breaking glass, but somebody who knows the law and the Constitution deeply, those two things don't usually go together. Right? You have the law professor types over here. They're not going to get anything done, but you have the people who might actually break glass, but they don't really know the first thing about the details. They'll get duped. My faith teaches me that God put each of us here for a purpose and that we have a moral duty to realize that purpose, that each of us has our own unique God-given gifts. Well, I look myself in the mirror and ask myself, how am I going to use the gifts God has given me to have the maximal positive impact I can for this country? That's why I'm running for president. And I think it's going to take that outsider who knows the law and especially somebody with fresh legs from the next generation. That's what it's actually going to take to get this job done. That's why I'm in this race. And I'm asking you guys for your help to put us there because the beauty of this system with the Iowa caucus going first, and it is a beautiful fact that we'll keep intact for perpetuity, needs to stay this way, is 
that's something that's in your power to do, not the media's, not anybody else's, not the super PACs, not the establishment of the failed Republican leadership. That's in your hands. And I think that's something that no other person is gonna get done even on this issue with 287G. It's gonna take someone like me to be able to actually see this through. Yeah, that's, what, uh, that's what Lincoln, when he talks about government of the people, for yes. the people, by the people. That's right. And we've forgotten that. Yeah. We've become a, and even our founding fathers, Thomas Jefferson, he, my favorite president is really Thomas Jefferson. I mentioned this in the debate the other night. He was 33 when he wrote the Declaration of Independence. He invented the swivel chair while he was at it. Unbelievable. Lewis and Clark expedition sent out to the Wild West. We had no idea what we're going to see. That founding spirit is what we've lost. That we're the pioneers. We're the explorers. The unafraid. But what did he put in there? We the people create a government that is accountable to us not the other way around. That's what we've lost today is that founding spirit. And I think it's gonna take, as it did for Jefferson or for Alexander Hamilton, who was even younger than him, somebody whose best days in life are still yet ahead to see a country whose best days can still be ahead of itself too. That's what it's gonna take. And there's a reason why these revolutions, these revivals are led by leaders from the next generation. That's what history teaches us. And, and I think that we live in a 1776 moment today. This is not an ordinary election. I think that if we don't get this right before my older son is out of high school, I don't think we have a country left. I don't mean that figuratively. I mean that literally. I don't think that the United States of America, the one that we know, certainly, will exist in another decade unless we really step up now in our own moment. I think 2024 is a 1776 moment in this country. If you want incremental reform, you really shouldn't go with me. You should go with a different candidate. You know, I think that uh, you had one of the anchors on CNN the other day calling me uh, dangerous. Thank you, man. Yeah, dangerous for this country. I'm saying some of the things that I've just said here to you all right now. Well, you know what? He might have said the same thing about our founding fathers. The ideals that this country was founded on, they're not moderate ideals. I mean, the idea that you get to speak your mind in the open as long as I get to in return. The idea that every one of us has a voice and a vote in a constitutional republic, regardless of what the enlightened elites say. Those are radical ideas. For most of our history, it was done the other way, most of human history was done the other way. But those extreme ideals are what make America great. That's what makes America itself. And so, yes, I'm not going to apologize for that and modulate that and give you some watered-down version of it. The First Amendment is an extreme idea. You get to practice your faith and speak your mind no matter who you are. The Second Amendment is an extreme idea. That you have the right to bear arms to prevent a government from overreaching the powers, the limited powers that we delegated to that government. Those are extreme ideas, and you're darn right I stand by them. And it's not some moderate idea. If you want a moderate, go with somebody else. If you want somebody who's going to compromise on those ideals, go with somebody else. If you want somebody who's going to deliver incremental reform, go with somebody else. But if you want the American Revolution, the ideals of the American Revolution, revived in the year 2024, nobody's going to be able to get that jo job done like I am. That is why the media is looking to shut me down. That is why the Republican Party establishment, the donor class, is looking to shut me down. But it's not up to them. I don't report to them. I report to you, to we the people, the people of this country. People talk about the, uh, you know, in Iowa they have this concept, the full grassling. You guys know about this? You know, go to all 99 counties. Well, that sounds pretty, pretty meek to me. We're doing the full grassly times two and then some in this, in this race. This is how we're doing this. I'm counting on you. We, the people, cannot be idle. We each have to do our part to see this through. But if we do, I am confident that 2024 can be a 1776 year, can be a 1980 year. I think we can win this general election in a landslide, actually, because 80% of us in this country, forget black versus white or red versus blue, what the media will teach you. I could care less about those distinctions. 
Do you share those pro-American values, those ideals? If we do, we're on the same team. Corporate tax rates being high or low, that's fine. We can debate that. But if you agree on those basic rules of the road, the values that unite us as Americans, we're on the same team. That's how I'm approaching this primary. That's how I'm approaching this general election. So if you're an independent or a libertarian or an orphan Democrat, I don't care. Come to the Iowa caucus and speak for the American values that unite us. And then I can take that message to the general, bring college kids and otherwise who have never come into our movement to vote for us in the general. 40% of our donors are first time ever donors to the Republican Party. You all make me your nominee, I will deliver you a landslide election like what Reagan did in 1980. That's what we'll deliver in 2024. We're within striking distance of that. I don't think that that's out of reach, but it's gonna take somebody different. The one who is a little unlike the others to actually get that job done. And that's why I'm here to ask for your help. We'll have time for maybe a couple more questions. Thank you. I haven't said anything about the Middle East. What, what do you think about it over there? We're, we're sending a lot of our money and our mail over there yeah. for nothing. We've been doing it for a long time. 25 years of foreign wars in Iraq and Afghanistan that did not advance our interests. Seven trillion of our national debt. People talk about our national debt. I mean, one of my competitors, Nikki Haley, tries to present herself as a debt hawk. Well, these are the people who actually accumulated a quarter of that debt fighting wars that didn't advance our interest. 20 years later, the Taliban is still in charge. 20 years later, Iraq is still a broken country, vulnerable now to Iranian incursion. Corrupt politicians spent trillions, killed millions, and made billions for themselves in both parties. The Dick Cheney's of the world, now it's Dick Cheney 2.0 in this party all over again, that didn't advance our interest. And now what are they doing? They're trying to sell you the same snake oil to do it all over again in places like Ukraine and elsewhere. When we're $34 trillion in the dollars in the hole, we have no business sending our own money to fund countries who have a less national debt per person than we do. You're sending your money so a Ukrainian kleptocrat can buy a bigger house. That's what's going on now. And people in, I'd love to blame Biden, and I will, because he's doing it. But he's only doing it because the people in the Republican Party are propping him up to do the same thing. The only person who's a bigger war hawk than Joe Biden on Ukraine are two of those candidates who were on that debate stage with me last night. That's the state of this. The worst ideas and the most corrupt ones are the bipartisan ones. So on my watch, here's my foreign policy. Keep us out of World War III. The Russia-China alliance, that's the big risk we face. Weaken that with a reasonable deal in Ukraine. Actually declare economic independence from China. We can't depend on them for our modern way of life, for our pharmaceuticals, for our electronics, for the shoes on our feet, the phones in our pockets. We can't depend on an enemy for our modern way of life. That's the real thing we need to focus on. And then here's a radical idea that the foreign policy establishment in both parties has failed us on. Protect our own homeland in this country. Border defenses, missile defenses, cyber defenses, super EMP, electromagnetic pulse attacks that could take out our electric grid in a matter of days, space-based defenses that we are totally missing. We're more vulnerable to an attack on our homeland than we have ever been in my lifetime and dare I say, probably our collective lifetimes of anybody who's in this room. That's what our foreign policy establishment has done. Spent our money to fight somebody else's war while they've left our own homeland vulnerable. And on my watch, our national defense spending will go towards actually defending our own homeland right here in the United States of America. That's the kind of president we deserve. That's what I'm going to give you. I appreciate that, my man. I'm the only candidate in this race who's going to do that. One last question, and then we'll wrap up. Sir. He kept his promise. Yeah, well, he sure did. That one and he did. And then uh, Trump tried to reverse some of that. Biden turned around and negated most of the things that Trump did. Yeah, correct. Now, I heard a commentator stating that that what you're uh, planning to do with executive orders is is not working with what the Constitution would allow. Yeah, now I have a deep understanding of the Constitution. Do you, remember, do you know who it was that was commenting on it? Well, I do, but I won't mention it. Oh, no, just, just so I, I mean, I... I, I yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I like open dialogue. Now, I'm not one of these 
Like, I think that if somebody's talking about that issue, that tells me they're already a pretty sharp person who cares about the Constitution. But then they need to understand what I'm actually doing, okay? So here's my view is, I swear an oath to the Constitution, I intend to keep it. The use of executive orders, there's a role for it in running the executive branch of the government. Where it's been abused is as a substitute for legislation that the Constitution requires Congress to actually authorize. So I'll give you an example. Lyndon Johnson's Executive Order 11246. That's what created affirmative action in the private sector. The idea that government contractors have to adopt racial and gender quotas. I'm eliminating that executive order on day one because it's unconstitutional. So many of our executive orders are. Some of them have even come from Republican presidents. So part of swearing oath to the Constitution is any executive order that's in the proper domain of Congress goes away. But don't mix that up with what I've said I will do, which is to, for example, create a hiring norm in the federal bureaucracy that says you're limited to eight years in your role. And unless you've actually had a merit-based contribution, you don't get another eight years. That is what the responsibility of a U.S. president is, to run the executive branch of the government. I've said that any time in the last five years a government official has pressured a private company to do something like a tech company or a bank to do something that the government couldn't do directly, we will publish it. And I will direct every government agency to publish that so the public can see it. That's not an unconstitutional executive order. That's running the executive branch of government. What I've said is I will fire 75% of those federal bureaucrats in my first year in office. That's executive action. That will be done by executive order. That's following what Article 2 of the Constitution says, which is it invests the executive power in a president. That's what Article 2 says. So I think that some people, it's a problem with, as old expression, language carves the channel through which thought flows. That's what I've learned in politics. I'm not from the world of politics. I've written three books in the last couple of years. Some of those have been the basis for appellate court cases challenging the censorship issues in big tech and otherwise. I've been an entrepreneur, I've built companies. What I've learned is many people in politics, what they learn, and, and, and I hope this doesn't happen to me, but maybe eight years in it will, and then it's time for me to go and somebody else to come in and take the job, is in this world, people start like learning words and slogans, and then they become slaves to those slogans without understanding the why, right? The deeper understanding of why. And that's why I said, again, Thomas Jefferson was my favorite president. He was an intellectual we had as president. He was a guy who, would, who could explore ideas, even ideas he disagreed with. That's something I've done in the books I've written. And then what do they do? They, uh, the super PACs will serve up and airlift some quote from my book out of context and serve it to you and say that, oh, well, here's a guy who said a thing that you might disagree with. That's what we need in the presidency. I have an English teacher in 11th grade. She taught me, if you don't, if you don't understand the other side's argument and you can't say it better than them, then you don't understand what you actually believe yourself. And that has served me well in my life as well. So I'm not like the other politicians. I'm not going to give you... Uh, so against executive order or not, that's the wrong question. There is a requirement for executive orders to be used more in running the executive branch of government, which has unconstitutionally overreached its authority to create almost a fourth branch of government. That takes a strong chief executive to shut that down while also exhibiting restraint in eliminating any executive order and not passing any executive order. That's actually what is legislatively the authority of Congress. And again, it goes back to what I told you before. That takes somebody who's gonna come from the outside, but also somebody who knows and understands the Constitution. Those two things don't usually go together. That's why I'm in this race. We don't have to be ancient Rome. We don't have to be this nation in decline that's abandoned our founding principles. That's when a nation goes the way of the dodo, goes to the dustbins of history. Every nation does when it loses its founding premise. That's what happened to Rome. We don't have to be Rome. I think as a nation right now, We are really just a little young, actually. Going through our own version of our 
adolescence. Figuring out who we're really going to be when we grow up. And when you view it that way, it makes sense again, actually. You go through your adolescence, you go through that identity crisis. You lose your way. You do some stupid things. Most of us probably did. Our country definitely is right now. But we are stronger for it when we get to our adulthood on the other side. So no, I don't think we have to be that nation in decline. I think we can still be a nation in our ascent. Maybe even the early stages of our ascent, actually. I'm not going to be the guy who comes here and tells you that it's morning in America. It's not right now. But it can be. I'm not going to tell you that the American dream is alive and well. I'd love to tell you that, but I can't. It's not. It is alive and hanging on for life support. That's where we are. But it can be alive and well again. It's not going to happen automatically. It's not going to be some one man coming from on high from the White House to save us. If we are going to be saved, it is going to be because we save ourselves. Every one of us doing our part. Even after you elect me, I'm not letting you off the hook that easily. As parents, as grandparents, as teachers, as coaches, employees, business leaders, community leaders, city councilmen, state legislators, every one of us still has a role to play, but we have a role to play now in the next 40 days. If you all do your part between now and the Iowa caucus, not just the 15 minutes you're going to take that day, the 30 minutes you'll take that day. I need you for that, but I need you for more than that. I need you to tell everybody in this community, in, in this area of southeastern Iowa, Wapolo and beyond, if you're able. Tell your friends, your family, bring them out. I don't care if they've been to a caucus. Some of you might tell them they voted for a Democrat before. Well, ask them if they care about this country. Do they agree with the founding ideals? If they do, bring them too. Somebody's an independent. Somebody may be a Republican and say, I'll save it for the general election. No, we don't have that kind of time. Bring them now, this time around. We have way more Republicans that will show up at a general election than show up at a caucus. The vote you cast at the caucus will be the most important vote you cast in your life. It's the equivalent of a million people that are going to shape who the next president is. A guy like me can't do this without you. If it's not the special interest, choose the president. You all can do your part. And so here's my promise to you. If you all do your part on January 15th and between now and January 15th, Today, this week, next week, bring out 100 people who otherwise wouldn't have come. Our team will help you do it. They're right here. You sign up with us, we'll tell you exactly how to do and what you need. But if you do your part, I promise you, my wife Apoorva and I and our family, we will do ours to make sure that our country's best days are still ahead of us, to make sure that we will still look our kids in the eye and tell them, in good conscience that the United States of America is still the country where no matter who you are or where your parents came from or what your skin color is that you will get ahead in this country with your own hard work your own commitment your own dedication and that you know what you are free to speak your mind at every step of the way. That is the American dream. That is what we are running to. And with your help on January 15th, that is what we are going to revive to save this great nation. Thank you for coming out this morning, guys. God bless you. God bless your families, and God bless our United States of America. Thank you. I appreciate it. Thank you, guys.
I had the opportunity to ask Vivek some questions and he answered them truthfully, like he always does. And I also want to remind you, please like, follow, and subscribe to this podcast. It's emotional for me too. I mean, this is our, this is what our, this is why we're doing this, my man. Thank you. Thank you. You do your part. We're going to do ours. Don't, don't, don't move yet. We're not done yet. Vivek, hey, I'm John Bay of Southeast Islands. I got to meet you in uh, Washington in October at Pizza Ranch. Oh, amazing. And we, we interviewed, I interviewed you that day. And I uh, just want to give you a little momento for my podcast because oh, awesome. someday you might have a presidential museum. And I, I want you to look fondly back at Southeast Iowa and maybe that'll be in there someday. I love that. I love and that. While I have you here, I'd like to ask you a, I love that. Like to ask you a question. Sure. The other night, you handed Nikki Haley her ass, and she needed it handed to her, and you exposed her corruption. Yes. Bill O'Reilly went through yes. on his program and showed everything you said is correct. Oh, it's absolutely. I don't say things that are not grounded in fact. And he, he even said, is she corrupted? Well, you make the make the call, but it's dubious, yeah. at least. Oh, Talk absolutely. About that. Absolutely. I mean, the, the fact of the matter is, and I saw the O'Reilly clip, he missed one big one, which is the biggest one, her military contractor. Her husband and her have started a military contracting firm. They've not disclosed their clients. And then the hypocrisy of this, she called on Trump to release his tax returns in 2016. She's going to Democrats to do it. She hasn't released her own tax returns this time around. I've put out 20 years of mine. She hasn't put out her tax returns. She needs to put out who are the clients of Allied Defense LLC, her military contractor. She needs to publish that client list. She does. That's 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 a must. Well, I thank you, and thank for my, my viewers that watch the podcast, I thank you for them as well, because you're exposing the truth, and yeah. you're speaking the truth, and God bless you. Thank you. I appreciate you saying something on that. Thank, thank you very you. much. Yeah, thanks, for, thanks for... Truth is a commodity that we need more of, and... Uh, my hat's off to Vivek Ramaswamy for speaking truth. Whether uh, you are for his politics or not, the man has his convictions, and uh, I wish him the best. I also want to thank our sponsors, Griner Auto Body, Car Doctor, McDonald Boneyard, Hinshaw Trailer Sales, Girling Repair, B&B Propane, and the family of Jet Stops. I'm your host, John Bain. Stay friendly, Southeast Iowa.